Good morning, church. Good morning. Welcome. Oh, that was nice. Welcome. Let's stand to our feet, and as we begin our service together, let's encourage one another uh, from God's word, and let's listen as we encourage, are encouraged by God's word from Psalm 104. We're going to read out loud together uh, verse 31 to 35, so let's do that. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they pour out smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God while I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. I will rejoice in the Lord. May sinners vanish from the earth and wicked people be no more. My soul, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. And let's sing worship to the kingdom. Let's sing this together. Oh, worship the King. Oh, worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the Ancient of Days, a pavilion in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of His might, oh, sing of His grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space. His chariots of gravity, thunder clouds form, and dark is His path on the wings of the storm. Bountiful care, what tongue can be light? It shines in the light. It streams from the hills, it descends to the plain, and sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. Frail children of dust and feeble as frail, Trust nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. Our Maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. Amen. sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and he has risen again and let's sing that together sing this together how can it be how can it be the one who died has borne our sins through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death? Sing, sing hallelujah. 
joy awaits us, dawning light. When Christ's disciples lift their eyes, on high he stands, their friend and king. Christ, Christ is risen. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Oh, sing alleluia. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, is risen in thee. Where doubt and darkness once had been, they saw him and their hearts believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, yet sing hallelujah. Once bound by fear, now bold in faith, the truth and power of grace, and pouring out their lives they gained, life, life everlasting. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, oh sing hallelujah, join the chorus, sing with the redeemed, Christ is risen, is risen indeed. our hearts to live His grace, go tell of His goodness. He's risen! Christ is risen, He's risen indeed. Oh, sing hallelujah. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, He's risen indeed. Christ is risen, He's risen indeed. see you this morning we are glad that you were in the lord's house that we get to sing he is alive amen that is what our life and hope is in that jesus is alive 
He's coming back. He's coming for his redeemed. And those of us who trust in him live eternally. Today we want to welcome you. Welcome to Hebrew Baptist Church. We uh, welcome you. Uh, we exist to help and invite everyone to take their next steps in Christ. We want you to take your next step if you're not trusted in Christ, to trust in him. If you want to, as a believer, maybe you've been a believer a long time. You've never shared the gospel or gone on mission. Or uh, If there's something that you know that you need to grow in the Lord, we want to help you take that next step. So the first thing we do is we welcome you to being here at Hebron Baptist Church. And we ask that you would, if you please, would connect with us in the pew in front of you is a connect card. If you would fill that out, especially if this is your first Sunday with us today, we want to know about you. We want to see how we might be able to serve you. And if this is your first Sunday today, go through the double doors to your immediate left is our next steps desk. And we have some people there that would be glad to welcome you, answer your questions and for your first Sunday here we have a gift waiting for you there so we hope that you'll take that connect card there this morning uh, we want to get to know you so a couple people will be a well, uh, introducing themselves here at the end of the service so uh, we're glad that you're here this morning now today is well this weekend or tomorrow is Memorial Day weekend and today it's it's a reminder to us to honor those who who have served who are serving and who have ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice this morning are there any active duty or reservists in the room today if you if you are would you mind standing that we might honor you today any active or reservists okay are there any veterans here this morning that have served if you would stand that we might honor you today Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if this is uh, one of my good friends who is a veteran, he, he always gives me this speech. He said, now, Sean, there's active duty, there are veterans, and those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Don't get those terms mixed up. People get those mixed up all the time. And so he said, remember, Memorial Day is for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and lost their lives in battle. So is there anyone who has lost a loved one, a family member, or friend in battle, would you please stand in their honor today? Is there anyone that's lost someone in, in the battle today? Yep, okay, well, that's good. Thank you for standing in their honor. Let's, let's just applaud their friendly and friends. You may be seated. Let's, you know, there is nothing like those who have served in our military uh, that is like Christ, those who are willing to give up their lives for their friends. And this weekend, we honor those who have paid that ultimate sacrifice. So during our time of prayer, I'm going to welcome you in, those of you who are new. We have a time of prayer because we're God's people. We should pray when we gather, and we're going to pray for several things. And one of those things is going to be praying for these who have lost their lives. So if you would, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to access your throne and throne room through your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in Him and by Him that we come with confidence to your throne. It is by His sacrifice, dying on our behalf, 
that we know you, Heavenly Father, gives us the access as a child. So, Lord, we are thankful for this, that we in this room who are your children come knowing you are listening to us. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this weekend for many freedoms that we have, but this we give honor where honor is due for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice in dying in battle, in service to the country, and in essence for us, that we might continue the freedoms that we have, that we can gather in a place like this, that we have not been dictated by the government to what we should believe or how we should believe, that we could proclaim the risen Savior and that we know that that was carried along, that freedom for those who have served, who will serve, and those who have died on this behalf. So Lord, I pray for those who are close to, to people who have lost their lives. We pray, God, that in their fighting for the country, they knew their ultimate king, you, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, now that they are enjoying the fruits of their faith in heaven and we pray for comfort and we thank you for the spouses and the families who have given uh, both their active duty veterans and even those who have fallen uh, in service for their country lord we are thankful for this and heavenly father as it is our regular prayer that we pray for things that are valuable to us and Lord one of the things here at Hebrew Baptist Church we value is intentional discipleship Heavenly Father we know God that you have called us to make disciples and baptize and we know that this is your plan A for the world that there would be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples and Lord in our congregation we pray that we are people that the knowledge of God does not stop with us but is carried along as we intentionally disciple someone else be it our children be it a friend here at church maybe it's someone that we meet in our workplace or school that we sit down with the Bible and help them obey and trust in you but Lord through our life groups through our D groups everything we do we know that we want to be intentional about passing the scriptures for faithful obedience. So Lord, thank you that we serve together in this, this matter and thank you that you have given us one heart and one mind in this value. Heavenly Father, we lift up those who, who have been called out because of discipleship of this church. We lift up Chris and Rhonda Richard and Hannah and Kenley as they serve in Buenos Aires through the International Mission Board. We are thankful for them. We love them. And there's not a Sunday that goes by that we don't wish that they were in our midst. But Lord, today we know they have been discipled and sent out for the Great Commission. So Lord, be with them. Protect them and their family as school is even going full, full circle now uh, with them, as they are meeting with churches to start a church plant, uh, as they're talking and sharing the gospel in their homes and around Buenos Aires, we pray, God, that you would bless the fruit of their labor. God, we pray, knowing that Chris and Rhonda have every bit of struggle that we have, they are still parents, 
They are still in marriage. They are still doing all these things that Satan can attack. And so we ask, Lord, you would protect them and encourage them in their faith and in their walk. And we're thankful for Chris and Rhonda. We pray that even today, Lord, you would answer a prayer that they've been praying about starting a church. And we pray that we will commit to continue to pray for them. Heavenly Father, we continue to lift up those amongst us who are sick. We lift up Milt Williamson as he continues to heal from his stents this week. We pray that it would help him to be stronger, have more energy, and face the other surgeries that he might have in the future. We're thankful for Loretta, how, he, how she's cared for them, him, and we pray for constant care for them. We also lift up Brother George Scholl. We know, Lord, that he is uh, hurting with his cancer diagnosis. And we pray, God, you would prolong his days and help him get pain relief. And we are thankful for him and all his love he's shown us over the years. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, for gathering us here today. We know, Lord, that if we would stop and think, we know that even though that we see intentional discipleship as a value, there's often times that we don't, that we don't take the opportunity that you give us, that we don't pause with our children to explain the scriptures, that we make life more busy and not your word, that we don't look at that extra connection or relationship that we could build in order to, to share the gospel or to, or to in, impart knowledge of scriptures. God, there's oftentimes that we know that we are very self-centered and very self-seeking. So Lord, we come to you and we ask for forgiveness because we know that we should be about building the knowledge and faith of Jesus in other people's lives. So Lord, we ask for forgiveness when we don't. But we are so thankful that we know that even in spite of our sin, we get to turn to you for grace and forgiveness that we know because of the gospel that we share, that we have hope. And because of this great gospel that has saved us, we cannot keep it to ourselves. And so, Lord, we are thankful for this, that you have made it all possible in the grace of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we have come to you today to worship you, may we revel in that grace. And may we sing of its good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to read God's word to you from 1 John chapter 5. Uh, so let's listen together to hear what, God's, what God would tell us from his word. Starting in verse 1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is. To keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For these for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that, is given, that he has given about his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given about his Son. 
And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Would you stand to your feet and let's celebrate together the rock of ages who we can land and depend on. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from your wounded side which flowed be of sin, the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's commands. Should my passion never and my efforts all be weighed all for sin could not atone you must save and you alone rock of ages no one takes your life yet you died that i might live costly grace you freely Rock of ages, you have paid the price, you were cleft to cover me, let me hide myself in thee. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Wretched to the fount I fly, watch me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, no one takes your life, yet you die that I might live. Costly grace you freely give, rock of ages. You have paid the price, you were cleft to cover me. Let me hide myself in thee. And while I draw my
that I might live, costly grace you freely give, rock of ages, you have paid the price, you were cleft to cover me, let me hide myself in Amen. Isn't it good to know we can trust in him, that even when we fail, he never fails. Amen. Let's make this our prayer. As we gather, come and teach us. Spirit, come and speak today. You delight to lead and guide us. It's your word that lights the way. So come, awaken our hearts. Illumine our minds, magnify Jesus Christ, come, renewing our faith, changing our lives with your words of Let your truth sink deep within us. Let the foolish learn your ways. We are often prone to wander. As we hear, may we be changed. So come, awaken our hearts. Illumine our minds, magnify Jesus Christ, come, renewing our faith, changing our lives, with your words of love. Awaken, Awaken our hearts, illumine our minds, magnify Jesus Jesus Christ, come, renewing our faith, changing our lives with your words of life. We need to see you, we need to hear you, we want to know you. Word of life, we need to see you, we need to hear you, we want to know you. 
Turning to your copy of God's Word to Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 4. Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 4. If you want to follow along in the translation that I am reading from, it's page 836 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 836. Those of you who are new today say, Well, wow, I don't hear Zephaniah very often. Well, you're right. Only if you come here, Hebrew Baptist Church, for the last couple of weeks have you heard from Zephaniah. We've also just done Habakkuk, and we're doing a series uh, entitled Edge of Exile. This is in the time of Judah, and when Judah uh, was on the edge or preface of God's judgment against them, and how in this they... God was sending a message through these prophets that judgment is coming for your disobedience. And as we think about where we are in our life, we're going to look really very applicably today of where we are as Christians today. We know that the Lord is coming back. We know that judgment is coming. How do we live? What truths do we need to know as we are faithful? And so in this uh, uh, verses 4 through uh, verse 8 of chapter 3 we're going to learn that God is judge of all the world not just of Judah not just of certain people but in this God is going to put the end of all evil and so let us read beginning in verse 4 uh, of chapter 2 for Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon will become a ruin Ashadad will be driven out at noon, and Ekron will be uprooted. Woe, inhabitants of the seacoast, nation of the Cherethites, the word of the Lord is against you, Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you until there is no one left. The seacoast will become pasture lands with caves for shepherds and pens for sheep. The coastland will belong to the remnant of the house of Judah and will find pasture there. They will lie down in the evening among the houses of Eshkelon. And the Lord their God will return to them and restore their fortunes. 
I've heard the taunting of Moab and the insults of the Ammonites who have taunted my people and threatened that territory. Therefore, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, the God of Israel. Moab will be like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place overgrown with weeds, a salt pit, and a perpetual wasteland. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The remainder of my nation will dispossess them. This is what they get for their pride, because they have taunted and acted arrogantly against the people of the Lord of armies. The Lord will be terrifying to them when he starves all the gods of the earth, then all the distant coasts and islands of the nations will bow and worship to him, each in its own place. You Cushites will also be slain by my sword. He will also stretch out the hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolate ruin, dry as the desert. Herds will lie down in the middle of it. Every kind of wild animal, both eagle, owls, and herons, and roost in the capitals of its pillars. Their calls will sound from the window, but devastation will be on the threshold, and he will expose the cedar work. This is the jubilant city that lives in security, that thinks to herself, I exist and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a place for wild animals to lie down. Everyone who passes by her scoffs and shakes his fist. Woe to the city that is rebellious and defiled, the oppression, oppressive city. She has not obeyed. She has not accepted discipline. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. The princes within her are roaring lions, her judges are wolves in the night, which leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to instruction. The righteous Lord is in her. He does no wrong. He applies his justice morning by morning. He does not fail at dawn, yet the one who does wrong knows no shame. I've cut off nations. Their corner towers are destroyed. I have laid waste their streets with no one to pass through. Their cities lie devastated without a person, without an inhabitant. I thought, you will certainly fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling place would not be cut off based on all that I have allocated to her. However, they became more corrupt in their actions. Therefore, wait for me. This is the Lord's declaration. Till the day I rise up for plunder, for my decisions is to gather nations to assemble kingdoms in order to pour my indignation on them. All my burning anger for the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealousy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. As we read these words, we shudder in the ultimate wrath that you have towards those who disobey you. God, we come to rest in the cross of Jesus. Yet those of us who know you, truly know you, when we come, we know the very word of God is like honey from the honeycomb. That is strength for our souls is important for us to grow. So Lord, as we dive into these scriptures, we pray that God your word, your truth will be planted in us. The Spirit will ignite it into a light of life as we live more like your Son, Jesus Christ. 
And as we read and as we listen and as you deal with us, I pray that at the end we can say we want, we desire to never be the same again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah and I watch the Great British Bake Off regularly. We've seen every season, every past season. If we missed it, we go back. We make sure that we watch. Now, if you ask me about what the desserts' names are or how they taste or whatever, I could not tell you. I would like to eat them, but the whole essence is the beautiful music that plays in the background and British people talking to one another and and working in a in a condensed time to make some beautiful creation. Well, you know, each one of them are judged and each challenge that that they want them to be good. They need to be they need to be good. They need to, to, one, if it's a structure, sometimes they have to build a structure, that the structure is good, that it is creative, that the structure will hold, hold that it certainly doesn't have a soggy bottom, and if it doesn't have all those, of all those things, that it must taste good. So oftentimes when the, the chefs or the bakers are, are making these things and they're rushing and they're, they're turning these through and they're making these wonderful uh, creations, it's surprising how often none of them have a reality of what's going on. As we're watching, we're seeing, you know, like they've made a tower of windows and windows are falling off at the end and, and it's crooked and it's lopsided and, and we're sitting there, oh gosh, this is, they're going to tear them apart. But they sit there like, oh, I'm really proud of this. You know, this is beautiful. They don't, they don't understand that everything is not okay. And, and then they go to the judge and then the judge says, well, okay, you know, the, it was creative, it was this, it was... Okay, it was good here, it was good here. Or maybe it wasn't creative and maybe it didn't look good, but it tasted good. I just remember one time, uh, one of the main, the main judge said, you know, I would like to say one good thing about this, and I really can't. <laughs> Nothing is good. Nothing is good about it. You know, as Christians, if we understand and read our Bibles, we know that there is nothing that's really okay, that things aren't okay, that things are actually worse than we might even think they are. You know, no matter, we were talking in my D group this week about kind of uh, different views of end times and different things, and one of the things we said was, it doesn't matter your view of the end times. Here's one thing we can all say. It's all going to get worse before it gets any better. And when we look at things, we know that everything is not okay. And we know that we have to live in such a way knowing this. So how do we react? How do we live? How, how should we respond? Well, the Bible tells us that those of people of God need to wait patiently and trust in the Lord and know that he's going to bring about justice and salvation to his people. That justice will roll like the ocean tide over all of the earth. That there will be no one left who disagrees or uh, disobeys or 
challenges or rebels God, they will be wiped away. And you know, this very true goes squarely against modern cultural beliefs, especially two in particular, pluralism, that everyone can believe everything they want, that anything you believe is valid, that it is all going to be okay. Unfortunately, this resides in some churches, that it's okay that you believe this way and we believe this way, and that, and it doesn't matter that you don't trust in God or that you, that you do. It's all going to work itself out in the end. And the other piece is that the culture says is like a compartmentalism, is that your spiritual things can reside in a certain place in your life, but it shouldn't be brought to other areas, that it shouldn't be brought to your work, it shouldn't be brought to the school, it shouldn't be brought uh, into the, your neighbor or your family conversation or, or all these things that, that we know that, that, that to bring about any truth of the God is frowned on today. That any truth or conviction should be reserved or cut off from the real world. Well, friends, when you read the prophets... This is totally foreign to them. They can't even believe that this type of, of idea would even exist because they say that it doesn't matter what little g God or little g goddess you serve or wherever you're from or whatever you think, everyone will bow to the one true God and that everyone will answer to him. They don't understand the fact of compartmentalizing God to one avenue, but instead that if he is the one righteous true king, then everything is under his authority. Zephaniah, as he continued his prophecy, showed that God's judgment will fall on everyone, not just God's people as we've been reading, but all of the nations and all of the people. This causes us to see that there's an immense need for us to understand none of us will be shielded from the judgment of God. And it should also drive all of us to even a deeper desire for the fulfillment of the Great Commission because all the inhabitants of the earth will be judged. Therefore, it should be about us, we as Southern Baptists, we as Baptists who, who send money billions of dollars and thousands of people to live their lives to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because we know one day everything will be wiped at the judgment of God and the only hope the only life raft the only good news that we could give anyone is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ but we've got to be careful that we are not so arrogant that we, A, think that the gospel is an entitlement for us to hold on to that we don't give, but also that we don't hide behind some veneer of goodness that thinks that judgment won't fall on us as well. So in this passage, there are two ways that God will judge all and then one response for those who trust in God. So if you're taking notes on your phones or on the back of the bulletin, number one, 
God will judge the proud who sees themselves greater than him. God will judge the proud who see themselves greater than him. Chapter 2, verse 4 through 15, gives us this true picture of judgment that will roll to all people, that God will judge all prideful people across the globe. Now, up to this point, and even through Habakkuk, what do we continue to hear the message? The message is, Judah, you are my chosen people. You should know better. Because you've disobeyed me, justice is coming, judgment is coming, that the Babylonians are coming as my arm of judgment against you. That is the message. That because of what you've done, because of your failure to repent, all of these things are going to be wiped out by Babylon. Well, we know that Babylon did not just overtake Judah. They, they were a large empire that wiped out one of the largest empires in history. And God is saying, in this small significant way, the world is going to taste the judgment that is coming to them. Now remember another truth we've said every week, that the prophecy was always a short-term prophecy with a long-term result that the short-term prophecy was, this is going to happen to you, Judah, this is what's going to happen to you, nations, but also this picture of the judgment to come in the end by the hand of the Lord. And this is what here we see, that it is not just Judah that's going to get punished, but every enemy who is prideful enough to think that they don't need God. And God speaks to three different people, technically four. I'm not going to talk about the Cushites just real quickly because they had one sentence. I'm going to look at the big responses here. Three, Philistines, verses four through seven. The Philistines, we know, was God's uh, people's enemies for a long time. Remember Goliath and the Philistines. We know that these people were fierce warriors and that they would take, and one of the reasons that God punished them is that they would take slaves at the end of war now in those days that was a common practice if you you defeated an army you could take their soldiers you could take their soldiers as the spoils of war to fulfill jobs within your nation well the philistines went further they enslaved entire people groups they took the soldiers, they took the children, they took the spouses, they took everything, and God judged them for them. And God said, I'm going to wipe you out. As a matter of fact, they said, you think you're such a fierce fighter now? Well, when I come to you, in verse 4, I love this, I will have you crushed by noon. You're going to be wiped off the face of the earth, and you will have nothing to stand against me. The Moab and Ammon is talked about through uh, eight, verses 8 through 11. Now, these two people groups are, um, I know there's children in the room, they are, are born out of sinful relations that Lot had with his daughters. And these two people groups grew up to be enemies of God. And because of their unfaithfulness, uh, from many generations, God was saying, I'm going to come and wipe you out. And leaving no flourishing detail out, 
Where were they born from? Lot. Where did Lot uh, have his greatest fall? Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does God say? I will make you, like in verse 9, Sodom and Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salty pits, a wasteland forever. This is saying that just in the same way you have rejected me, I'm going to make you like your ancient lusts. And finally, Assyria in verses 13 through 15. We know Assyria showed its might. They were the mighty warriors of the time. They had made the northern kingdom fall, that they were the, the big bullies on the block, so to speak. But even them who had defiled the people of God, God has said, you will fall too at the ha my hands. Nineveh, it mentions there, the capital city of Assyria. We, we remember Nineveh from the story of Jonah. They, again, still, even though they repented to God, they still, again, went away from God and they became, again, an evil city. In the book of Nahum, it was written against the sins of Nineveh exclusively. The capital is condemned for its idolatry, violence, and sorceries. All of these enemies of God, God is saying, I am coming against you. Now, what was the one thing that brought all these people together? What did they have in common? Pride. They felt they had no need for the one true God. They rebelled against him and his people. How do we know this? Well, it says it right there. Verse 8, Zephaniah, I have heard the taunting of Moab and insults of the Ammonites who have taunted my people and their territory. You have come against my people who say they believe in me. In verse 10, this is what they get for their pride because they taunted arrogantly against the people of the Lord of armies. And then Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 15, uh, if you remember, he says, they act as though I don't exist. Verse 12, uh, 2, verse 15, I exist, and there is no one else. You can't help but read this and hear this. I exist. I am. I am the great I am. There is me, and there is no one else. I am the one true God. This is a ringing of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. God showed himself to be the one true God, the one who has authority over all things, and these nations thought they were too prideful to need him at all. Brothers and sisters, as we consider this, we are thankful that God will wipe out all evil over the world. But we must guard our hearts that we don't find ourselves in the same evil that they find themselves in. The sin of pride. That we think that we don't need God in our lives. That we are just like the child who says, I can do it myself, Dad. I can do it myself, Mom. Knowing that certainly that there, was, there is destruction and at least skin, knees, and maybe even a broken arm in their future. They can do it themselves. And the same way often we get prideful thinking that we can do things by ourselves. 
Our pride help, uh, points us to ignore God. Our, our pride helps, uh, points us to think too much of ourselves when we should be looking to God alone. Joel Beek says this, pride is a devastating sin and is complex. Most sins turn us away from God, but pride directly attacks God. It lifts us above and against God, seeking to dethrone him by enthroning ourselves. How does pride show itself in our lives? Well, fear. Pride is at the root of fear and anxiety when we humbly rest in ourselves and what we can control instead of trusting in the sovereign hand of God. Entitlement. We think we deserve God's mercy. And we, we deserve people's praise. We think that we deserve love and success and comfort and accolades. We certainly don't think that we deserve suffering or heartbreak or discipline. And when it comes, we rebel thinking we deserve better. In gratitude, our hearts say that we're good, that we should get what we want. And if we don't get what we want, we're justified in our ingratitude. If we're somehow uncomfortable or inconvenienced, we get to complain. That's based in our pride, thinking we deserve it all. People-pleasing. Some people think that people-pleasing is a positive, that we're just people who are clearly concerned at serving others and bringing the peace, but that's nothing more than sneaky sheepskin on a wolf habit. People-pleasing is all about self-satisfaction, fearing man more than we fear God and seeking the fleeting happiness that comes from man's approval instead of God's approval. Prayerlessness. We think that we don't need God every hour, that we don't need his help, grace, mercy, and courage, and hope. So we surely don't pray because we think we can handle things on our own. And rebellion against God we rebel against him but it also manifests in our rebellion against his word and even our God ordained spiritual leaders at times see we know that we should put pride to death and we must seek any time that we are putting ourselves above God or other people and how do we do this when we look to Jesus the God man Jesus, who emptied himself of all that he deserved to save us from everything that we deserve. Because of his humility, we can be forgiven of our pride. So good news for all of us who are prideful in the room. But if we are, we need to put that to death. Because as the days get harder, we must not see ourselves as more prideful, but more dependent on God so is there something that you need to repent of in your pridefulness is there something that you know will understand this pride will be judged and we therefore do not need to be counted among those who have rebelled and number two God will judge the rebellious who do not trust him God will judge the rebellious who will not trust him and verses chapter 3, 1 through 7, changes the target. And it's interesting, as you're reading, by the end of chapter 2, you think, oh, well, certainly he's talking of another nation, or maybe he's tacked this on 
uh, to Assyria, or, and you're just going through here and you're listening and you're thinking, oh, well, who are these horrible people? I mean, who could, these po- who could they possibly be? And then by the end, you realize he's speaking about Jerusalem. He's speaking about Judah. And the people whom God's covenant rests, who has rejected him and fallen, it says, into further corruption. Well, what do we see here? Verses 3 through 4, he says, All of your leaders are corrupt. Therefore, there is no one left to lead you into goodness. In verse 6, he says, Surely you will fear me because I have sent you enough messages. Every person around you has fallen. Surely you will look out and say, I don't want to be like them. We need to get right with God. But no, he says, you continue into major corruption. So what is their major sin? They fail to obey God and live for truth. Chapter 3, verse 2. She has not obeyed. She has not accepted discipline. She has not trusted the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Verse 7. I thought you will certainly fear me. At the very end, however, they became more corrupt in all their actions. God is saying, surely you know all the times and the patience and the mercy and everything that I've shown you. I've shown you miraculous events. I've given you straight truth from prophets. I've done everything to show you to repent and turn to me and I will welcome you with open arms. But instead, every single time you have turned from me. So they will be wiped because of their failure to trust in God. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get concerned because when I see this, I see a people who knew better and who even had signs of covenant living and yet still rejected God. And this is something that we must guard ourselves, that we must chase holiness, chase obedience, be close to the Lord, Because the question becomes, how can you glorify God? I mean, sorry, how can you have no desire to glorify God and say that you're a child of God? How can you say, as the Israelites did, oh God, I want to be close to you. However, I am not accepting instruction. I'm not answering the calls to repent. I'm not doing all these things. I'm just going to live the way that I want to live. Now imagine this. Imagine there's a Bengals football player. And this football player, every time he was on the field, that he would do something to hurt his teammates. That he would run the wrong way, and uh, maybe he's on offense, and he runs the wrong way, and he... He, uh, he hits the quarterback and the quarterback fumbles the ball or maybe and he goes over to the running back and for some unexplained reason uh, goes over and strips the ball and hands it to the other t- player or maybe there's on, on defense and, and his teammate intercepts the ball but for some reason he knocks it out of his hands and gives it right to the other team and they score. And what would you say to that? 
Well, you could just say that's what we expect from Bengals football players. I wouldn't say that. But you would say, how could you say that you're playing for us when you're doing everything to oppose us? How can you keep saying that you're for the Bengals when you're doing everything to help us lose? In the same way, brother and sister, how can you say that you're for God and do everything to oppose Him? How can you have no desire to grow in holiness, not listen to rebukes, not receive instruction from the Word, and say that you desire to honor God? Friends, we must guard ourselves because in the end we will face judgment. Sinclair Ferguson says there is no such thing as genuine knowledge of God that does not show itself in obedience to his word and will. The person who wants to know God but has no heart to obey him will never enter the sacred courts where God reveals himself to the soul of man. God does not give divine knowledge to those who have no desire to glorify him. Brothers and sisters, we must not kid ourselves. We should be, therefore, checking our hearts to know that are we living in a lifestyle that opposes God? You know, one of the great myths that has been perpetrated and infiltrated our churches today, that even some people have said, even if you've been baptized or become a member of a church, that somehow you're safe spiritually from any judgment. Now, I'm not trying to speak ill or intent, but but these churches are lying to you. They're not being for your good. It's a false gospel. The only salvation comes when we are born again of the Spirit, that we trust in the one true God, and He spiritually regenerates us to be His child. And no matter what these other groups, Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic or Lutheran, and even some Baptists that say that just because you've been dunked under some water or lightly missed as you walk across the room, if you're baptized in some capacity that you're safe from anything. Here are these people of God were showing signs of the covenant. They had said that they were, they were Jewish people, they had done things, and yet they had not followed God. Brothers and sisters, we must be careful and ask ourselves, have we been transformed by the Spirit of God? Our lives are indicators of who we follow. Are we truly in love with God to follow Him and live for Him? Because if not, we're just playing and playing dress-up as Christians. Today here, brother and sister, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to hear these very words that the Bible's claim that God will judge everybody. That means you too. This doesn't mean that they're going to pass over you or that everything's going to work out in the end. The universal scope of what Zephaniah is saying is that the whole world will be consumed by my jealous anger in verse 8. So what should we do? Well, our only choice is to do to verse 7 is to accept the Lord and turn to Him. That we should accept His corrections. 
and live for him? To which you would answer, I don't know I can do that. I don't think I can do that. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has. And if you accept him as Savior, you receive his perfection and his righteousness. And you are grafted into him to the kingdom of heaven. And it is in your relationship with him that you will stand before God one day and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I pray today that you will trust on Jesus and be born again. And maybe you who are seeking God or thinking about God, you're, you're starting to feel some maybe shame or guilt or maybe some, some things in your life that you know that you need to change. Well, I encourage you, if that is if that is what's happening in your heart, I encourage you to talk to a Christian friend. They can help you understand that maybe this is the Spirit calling you in, into a life of Christ. That this is God at work seeking you out. That you should all, as we all should, identify our sins and repent and turn away from them and return to God. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that it is in this that we must trust in God even when all of life seems to be spinning towards evil. We can still trust him. So what is, or we should do, number three, be humble and wait patiently on the Lord. Verse eight, therefore, wait for me. Wait, God, can I do, wait for me. But aren't you sure that we get... Wait for me. You know, that's the hardest thing for us to do as Christians, isn't it? To get ahead of the Lord. We want to do something, and we want to do it quick, and we want to do it now. And we see the world falling deeper and deeper into evil and sin. What should we do? We see things going downhill. Well, what happened in Jerusalem? Well, they saw these things happening, and they turned to all sorts of bad lifestyle because they thought, well... Everything else is going to pot, so I might as well too. God's going to work it out at the end, but instead God said, no, judgment is coming on you too. You know the truth. Brother, sister, that's what he's saying to you. The gospel has come to you. The truth has come to you. You know what is right. You know, as Acts chapter 17, verse 31, as the Apostle Paul said, because it is said a day that he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. We know that God has raised up Jesus to be the judge one day. And that we know that things aren't quite fixed yet. But how are we going to live between now and and he comes again. Well, the immediate ways that some turn to is pleasure placed in front of us. Sex, deception, laziness, lust, ambition, resentfulness, and so on. It is the mousetrap that snaps the mouse because it delivers the promises that leads to death. But we as Christians know that the only life comes from trusting in the Lord. 
This is why we need churches and pastors to preach from all of the scripture because we know we have hope. We know we have things to come, but we also need to be understandable and have a realistic perspective of what's happening around us because some days we need to just say, be patient and wait on the Lord. He is bringing justice. Be patient. I'm going to work it all out. Be patient and trust me. Why we need churches to even preach from Zephaniah. Brothers and sisters, we know that the scriptures have shown that the promises of heaven are sweet to us, and the prospect of fellowship with God is going to be great. But we need to be reminded that every day and every week and every month and every year, that in these last days, we need to be patient and wait on the Lord. We need to trust him and not fall away from him. Turn to sin, thinking that one day it might work its way out. We need to stay faithful. We have this hope because we know God will judge all the world. So whether today you need to repent of pride, truly repent and leave, live for God, whatever that is, you know this, that God is coming and he's going to work all things. And we need to understand that we need to remain in the hope and trust in Christ and stay faithful and wait. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this reminder today. As we see the world get worse and worse, instead of giving up hope, instead of turning to the desires of the flesh, instead of us trusting in myths and and teachings that won't bring us hope, Let us be reminded of the true hope in the gospel. Lord, thank you so much for the good news that resides in your son, Jesus. God, I pray this morning as we seek to live faithfully that we would all ask the Spirit to correct us today. That we would see God, that we would seek you, that we would wait patiently, but we would trust you. Heavenly Father, be with us today. God, I pray that there's someone here that is far from you, that they would be brought near. I pray that there's someone who, who, who Lord, is, has, has been taken over by a false gospel and not been born again. I pray that they quit playing, playing Christian. Instead, ask you, Christ, to save them and be born again. God, I pray this morning that you would do business with our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing together. Jesus, Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus at the center of it all, Jesus at the center of it all. 
will always be. It's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around center of my life. Jesus, be the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. Jesus, be the center of your church. Jesus, be the center of your church. And every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess you, Jesus. Amen, amen. That will be true one day. Let's grab a seat and watch this video together.
but a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? We are launching this week, and we'll be talking about the next couple weeks, is a summer, who's your one? Who's one person that you can bring with you to church? Who's one person that you can share the gospel with? You know, we're this every Sunday night we have a gospel at every home where we're going and knocking on doors and getting to know our community. Uh, and not tonight, by the way, for the holiday, but uh, every other Sunday night we're doing that. But we want to think, we want to win back our summer. A lot of times we can get uh, lackadaisical and think, uh, that the summer we could just do whatever put our feet up and we don't need to think about anything until the fall but friends that people's eternity is hanging in the balance and we don't have time to wait and we latest statistics and we're going to talk more about this uh, at our members meeting here in a couple of weeks the gospel uh, here in Boone County there's only 7% of the population who attend a church that means uh I say that loosely, meaning that could be Catholic, it could be Mormon, it could be all sorts of different religious places. What that means is there's over 130,000 people in this county who doesn't know the Lord or doesn't attend a church. So we can't be truthful if we say, well, I don't really know somebody who doesn't know the Lord or doesn't go to church. Well, then you maybe haven't talked to your neighbor or you haven't gone to Kroger, or you haven't gone anywhere because more than likely you will bump into them, just statistically speaking. That's one in ten people that might be a Christian and might go to church here in our county. So our challenge is together, and we're going to be talking about this a lot, is to think who is the one person we need to bring to church this summer? Who's the one person we need to share the gospel? And every time you invite someone or you share the gospel, make sure you put it on one of our ping pongs outside and put it in our go-tell board so that we can encourage one another this summer and see what God will do. Because there are people lost without Christ, and we need to do our part for the sake of the Great Commission. So this, uh, think about that, pray for that, pray for that person, and seek uh, that person out in the weeks and months to come. A couple of things, we want to welcome those who are guests today. Thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here. Don't forget to take that Connect card to the Next Steps desk if someone will be there and give you a gift. Uh, also, if you want to talk or ask questions about trusting in Christ or being baptized or church membership, please go there to the Next Steps table. I will be hanging around there. I'd love to talk to you about those things. Uh, but we hope today that you would take your next step in Christ uh, wherever that is. And we hope that that's in first a relationship with him and then a committed relationship uh, with him but with other believers in the life of a church so we hope that you'll do that a couple other quick announcements tomorrow the office is closed for the holiday our gospel at every home will not meet today because of the of the holiday weekend uh, but we do want to make sure that you're here next week june 4th lord's supper in the morning 
a members meeting at 6 o'clock at night. Uh, uh, also, remember this week to pray for our students that go to Crossings Camp. Uh, we pray that God would uh, work in their lives, that God would show up and, and uh, bring some of them to Christ, that will bring them uh, others into deeper relationship with Him. So please remember them uh, throughout the week. And also, let's, Curtis, where, where are you at? There you are. Send me a lit, full list, and we'll email that out to everyone so that they can pray this week. Uh, also, a reminder, as you leave today to sign up for Vacation Bible School, we need tons of volunteers. It's another way for us uh, to impact one person with the gospel. We need lots of volunteers. It's still our biggest outreach of the year. We'll have 150 to 200 kids right here at Hebron Baptist Church, and so we hope uh, that you will help us out as we do it. Now, that we've worshipped through song and through word and through prayer, we also worship as we give. We uh, act, this is an act of worship for us as we respond and the generosity that God has given to us that we should give to him and you can do so several different ways up on the screen uh, there will be a QR code that you can scan if you give electronically or there in the pew in front of you or in the offering plates that we're about to give out if you'd like to give physically that way so let's pray and prepare our hearts for the offering Heavenly Father thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you uh, and do so in a way that's with the finances and the provisions you have given us. So, Lord, as we give, we are thankful for those who have given. We know that it helps support our students going to camp. It helps events like Hoosier One that we can reach out into our community. We pray and know that these resources are, are for the Great Commission. And so, Lord, for the faithfulness and generosity you have given us, we give this back. It's just a portion you have called us to give. We pray that you bless the person, the family, and the giver, and that you would multiply the gift so that we might do more in your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. stay I'll stay when you move I'll move I will follow all your ways are good all your ways are sure I will trust in you alone higher than my side I above my life, I will trust in you alone. Stand to your feet, let's sing. And where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you, yeah, I will follow you, yeah. Light into the world, light into my life, I will live for you alone, you're the one I seek, knowing I will find all I need in you alone, in you alone. 
you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Yeah, I will follow you. stay when you move I'll move I will follow you whom you love I'll love whom you serve I'll serve if this life I lose I will follow and where you go I'll go and where you stay I'll stay whom you love I'll love how you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Yeah, I will follow you. Yeah, I will follow you. Yeah, I will follow you. Yeah. Let's go from this place and follow Christ wherever he leads. Yeah, great. Great, great, great.